May 12, 2017, New How can all aspects of my life energize me spiritually? So we're going to be doing uh, five seminars over the next three days. These are the topics. I, I'm not sure if here they're exactly in the order we're going to be presenting them. One per class. Uh, there are schedules posted which seminar we're going to be doing at which time. And these are all uh, workshops, uh, fun shops. <laughs> so... Uh, they're, they're participatory. If you came here just to be entertained and not to participate, you're in the wrong place. So, we, we will be doing uh, activities and we will be making plans and things of that nature. All right? Okay. So we're going to be modeling these particular seminars after six of the parts of Astanga Yoga. Yam Niyam, Prachidhara, Dharana, Dhyana, and Samadhi. And in each of the seminars, we're going to be looking at some of these, or in a few cases, all of these. So some of you who may not be so familiar with this, so yam and niyam is about what? Do's and don'ts. Yes. And what about prachitara? Withdrawing from the sense objects. And we're going to be looking here at prachitara particularly as withdrawing from material conceptions of the world and of our own identity. And dharana, what does that mean? What does dada mean, literally? Giri dari. To hold. So dharana means to hold. And in asanga yoga, it means you're holding the mind. We're going to be looking in bhakti yoga as far as holding our real identity holding who we really are, and jnana is? To meditate. To meditate, yes. So once you've let go of your fault, once you do the do's and the don'ts, you've let go of your false identity, you're holding your real identity, then you naturally meditate on Krishna. And this dhyan is like a flowing stream. So here you see the stream. So the yam and niyam, the do's and the don'ts, Prachidharas, withdrawing from the false identity, false conceptions. Uh, Dharana is holding the real identity and the real conceptions, and we're showing holding very gently, like a little bird. And jhana is the effortless flow, and then samadhi. So what is samadhi? Well, trance actually happens almost, you could say, in dhyana. Uh, samadhi, what does sama mean? Equal. And dhi? Like Dimahi? What is Dimahi? Stay put. Huh? Stay put. To stay put. <laughs> to stay put in a conception of uh, oneness, of Sama. Of course, this is not the Mayavadi oneness, but this is Vijavanaya Sampade, Brahmani Gavihasani, Shunichaiva Asupaketa, Bhagavata Sambhavashina. To see that everyone is a spiritual being, to see Krishna everywhere. To come to ultimate realization. Right, so today, the one we're going to be doing is how can all the aspects of my life energize me spiritually? My, my personal conviction is that this particular topic, uh, along with some of the other ones we'll be coming, covering this weekend, are a very major and important factor in taking Krishna consciousness out of the realm of a few serious adherents to the world. 
So there's a lot of discussion, especially I think in the past few years, about what will it take to make Krishna consciousness a part of the world in general. Uh, my, again, my personal conviction is you have to show people how to live a Krishna conscious life in the world. Now, when I, when I first joined the Hare Krishna movement, uh, my mother was very skeptical for about a decade. And she used to say things like, okay, you're going out and selling your books and getting people to move into your ashrams and they go out and sell your books and those people move into your ashrams. And what will happen when everybody lives in your ashrams? Who will they sell books to? <laughs> you know, what's your plan for a society? So I, I should have put that slide here to it. But anyway, there's a temple in, um, in Bloomington where their ISKCON sign is missing the S. It says ICON. So I should, should have put that in here. So I think we've been very good. I personally feel we've been very good at international Krishna consciousness. I think we've done a good job of that. But we haven't been so good at the society part, at really building a society and at really infiltrating society. And I think a lot of the reason is that our conceptions of Krishna consciousness are, are not quite right. What does it mean to practice Krishna consciousness? And you'll see that this is sort of the overriding theme of these three days. What can I do to make my whole life Krishna conscious? I really appreciate what Vaisheshi Kupupu said today, Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya, that that means always 24-7. And in fact, when I joined the Hare Krishna movement, one of the main reasons that I joined was for 24-7. My whole life, quite literally, since I was four. I was looking, how can I remember God all day long? You know, most religions say, well, you have prayer time in the morning, or you, you know, you can have a prayer time on the weekends, but what do you do the rest of the time? How do you remember God when you're brushing your teeth, when you're in the supermarket? And I, I, I really sincerely believe that in order to spread Krishna consciousness, we have to teach people how to do this. But before we can teach other people how to do this, we have to learn how to do this. So this particular one is looking at the aspects of our life, this particular seminar, that are not sadhana, other than our sadhana. We're going to have one seminar on how we can make time in our day for high-quality sadhana, uh, but the rest of them are looking at our non-sadhana time. Because like what Vasheshi Kibibu said, Today is if you tell people 24-7, they're going to say, oh my God, that's way too hard. Yes? No way can I do that. Okay, well, at least once a day, make a sadhana time, and that time you remember Krishna, the rest time you forget it. <laughs> so what we're looking at this weekend is how do I remember him the rest of the time? And in, in one of our seminars, uh, we're going to be looking at how do I make time specifically uh, to spend with sadhana. So our keys for this seminar are looking at the prachinhara and the dharana. Getting rid of our false identity and getting and holding, being able to hold our actual identity. And we're going to be looking at our actual identity in, in two different forms. And again, Vaisheshi Gibbabu and I did not coordinate this, I promise you, but when he talked about mission today, and I'm like, oh my God. He gave the perfect uh, compliment to what I'm going to be talking about. So I'm just so excited. 
So, first I'd like to ask, you know, are there things you do, again, we're not, in this particular seminar, we're not looking at, at our sadhana time, we're looking at our non-sadhana time. Uh, unless there, if there are any of you here who only do sadhana all day long, then you're in this seminar to teach other people. Okay, because this, this is about people who have a sadhana time, and the rest of the time doing something else. So, I'd like you to think about if you have activities during your day that you feel are spiritually draining instead of energizing. That you're like, oh, God, this part of my day, or this thing I have to do, or whatever, you know, it doesn't enlighten me spiritually. I just can't see what it has to do with Krishna. I wish I didn't have to do it. And what we're going to do is look at ways to go from that, oh, this is draining, to this is energizing. Now we're going to look first at some of the symptoms. We're going to look at the psychological, some of the psychological symptoms. Then we're going to look at the two overall causes, you could say theoretical causes. And then we're going to look at practical solutions. So don't worry, we get practical. Okay? This is my general way that I develop things, is problems. <laughs> what's the problem? What's the theoretical solution? And what's the specific solution? So one problem is thinking that spiritual life means being a renunciate. Equating Krishna consciousness with being in a renounced ashram and thinking everything else is second rate. Now you may say, well, Ermila, that was over in like 1980. But I don't think so. I see it today. Could you suggest some ways... We do have a mic that can be passed around. I need a mic runner, though. And you've got another mic. Okay, great. So I'd like you guys to suggest some ways in which you think this mentality is still prevalent in our Hare Krishna movement, that the only real devotees are the renunciates. In other words, the only real devotees are those who are doing sadhana all day. We never do as if that's what the real renunciates do anyway, but... How was some evidence of this mentality in our movement? Anybody have a suggestion? Yes. What we can do is we can have two mic runners, one for one half of them, one for the other half of them. Neither of you have a slip. Somebody has some energy. Being so austere that we um, don't take care of our health. Oh, that's coming. That's the next slide. <laughs> You're anticipating my slides. <laughs> All the way in the bottom. Very, 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 yeah, there you go. Turn it and make sure there's a green line on this. Okay, I'm going to just... Thinking that uh, if we work, then all we do is donate money, do anything but donate money. Oh, very nice. I didn't even make a slide for that. Excellent. So, thinking that if we work, that the only the only contribution of our work is a donation of money. Okay. That the working itself has no devotional value. Only the money that we make from the workings. Okay. Some other symptoms of thinking that if you're really Krishna conscious, you'd be in a renounced ashram. Yes. Excellent, that's what I was looking for. Um, the, the respect that we give to the sannyasis. So, wherever I go in the world, 
people assume that only sannyasis are gurus. It doesn't matter where I am, whether I'm in India, whether I'm in Africa, whether I'm in Australia, whether I'm in America, whether I'm in Europe. There's a general assumption that in order to be a guru, you have to be a sannyasi. And there's a general assumption that the sannyasis are more spiritually advanced than everybody else. It's a general assumption. So we, we really have a culture in our movement that it's only the renunciates who are really Krishna conscious. And there's some parts of the world where anybody who has an outside job or a business or a home off of this kind of property has a label of part-time devotee. So the places in the world where in order to be considered a full-time devotee, you have to be living in a temple ashram and working full-time for the International Society for Christian Consciousness. Okay, another, we could say, symptom is thinking that renunciation is hard-heartedness. Thinking that in order to be detached from the world, you have to harden your heart. And, and I know I certainly felt this way that this was, this was a real problem for me as a, as a new member of the Hare Krishna movement. And I know when I lived here in Vrindavan in 1980, it was a, a very prevalent feature of the community here. I remember one of the leaders of the community telling me, well, this child's very lucky because she doesn't know who her mother is. You know, this, this, this sort of thing that you have to like cut off your feelings and your emotions in order to be, in a, a, to be renounced. That that's what it means. And again, I still find this, I still find this kind of, of preaching. That, that, that thinking that Yamunacharya would spit at sex life, that what that meant was that he had a hard heart. What it really meant is if, you know, you have a wonderful plate of prasadam and somebody brings you five-day-old bread, you go, I don't really want that. But you're not hard-hearted, you understand? But this thinking that I have to be hard-hearted, or thinking that renunciation means being irresponsible. Yes? They ask the question also? Yes, you certainly can. Uh, but it, you get the mic. Doesn't it automatically happen when you do sadhana? That's the idea. The idea that a symptom of your good Christian consciousness is you become renounced, but you don't become hard-hearted or irresponsible. So if we're equating material detachment with hard-heartedness, I just don't care about anything anymore. Or if we, were, if we conflate material detachment with irresponsibility, uh, this leads to this problem of having activities in our life that don't spiritually enlighten us. Now, now we come to what you were talking about. This is with other people. When I'm so busy doing service that I neglect my family, I neglect my friends, I may neglect their physical needs, their emotional needs, their social needs. And again, I still find this going on in our I still find this going on. You know, I don't have time to cook, I don't have time to clean my house, I don't have time to be with my kids because I'm doing service. I don't have time to take care of the other people in my life. And again, that still falls. It's, it's happening, you know, even among people in their 20s and, and so forth and so on. It's something that goes on. How many of you have experienced this kind of thing? And, and what's difficult about this is I find that when you try to convince people otherwise, they're not very convincible. 
You know, that they, they've really bought into this idea. And that's like Robert said, Arjuna wanted to use Krishna consciousness as a skillful excuse. So the people, they, they've gotten to the point that they're using their Krishna consciousness as an excuse to be neglectful of the other people in their lives. And this, this ties in even more now to, to what you were saying, neglecting our own self. So thinking that renunciation and detachment means my own, you know, my social needs, my intellectual needs, my physical needs, all of my needs can be neglected. I don't have to sleep. Poor guy. I don't have to sleep. I, he, he, he usually sleeps. He just wasn't sleeping to take care of us. But you know, we had devotees who didn't sleep. They only slept four hours a night. Year after year after year, and then they got all kinds of diseases because they were doing it artificially. They weren't eating properly when they got sick. And what's really interesting about this kind of neglect, it, it's sort of like you're forcing yourself with willpower, isn't it? Just kind of forcing you in the name of detachment, you're forcing yourself, like you're getting this train through this desert of hard-heartedness and neglect and repression and irresponsibility. But the problem is that our needs are still present and they tend to just overwhelm us. And we've seen this happen so many times when someone thinks, you know, well, that's all my end, I just have to repress it and I have to neglect it. And then all those needs reassert themselves. Yes, have we seen this? We've seen this in so many other people we may have seen in ourselves. You know, we push ourselves and push ourselves. Well, I can't do anything. That's my I can only do something that's Krishna conscious. And we're defining Krishna consciousness very, very narrowly. The problem is not that we don't want to be admired. The problem is how we're defining our Krishna consciousness. Defining our Krishna consciousness as something that's hard-hearted, something that's repressive, something that's irresponsible materially. We're defining it in that way, and that definition is wrong. And because it's wrong, it eventually catches up with us. And we, we can't maintain it because it's not the real thing. If it was the real thing, we could maintain it. So we're going to look now at, at two solutions in a very general way. As I say, don't worry, we will get specific, and we're going to do some exercises, so we are going to be left. My goal is with each of the five seminars, you're going to be left with something that you can apply in your life now. Okay? So don't worry if with my general solutions you say, oh, that's too general. Okay, so the first problem is the wrong definition of Krishna consciousness and Maya. That's the first part of the problem. We're not identifying what is Maya properly. We're seeing God only as separate from the world. Okay? So just like with this sort of conception, Now, in, the, in Western theology, this is called seeing God only as transcendent. The world is evil. The world is bad. God is over there, and he's good. Right? 
So in this kind of conception, what would you see as material? In that long conception, what would you see as material? Family. Family. What else? Nature. Work. Work. Your nature. Education. What? Education. Education. Money. Money. Exercise. Recreation. What else? Management. Management. Medicine. 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 Oh my goodness. <laughs> there are religious groups who think like that. Who think medicine is material. Interesting. Anything else? Relationships. Body. The body. Music. Music. Dancing. Dancing. <laughs> Food. Okay. And what would be spiritual? Just work on your own. That's fine. There is a, 
There were blank papers and a few of those really cute little mini sharpie pencils right by the door. So if you yourself do not have anything to write on or anything to write with, and you would like to avail yourself of one of those, uh, please go ahead and do so. And I'd like you to just talk for just five minutes or so. What do you think this means? What do you think Shiloh Prabhupada Lord Brahma means by this? The existence of Maya is only within the mind. Okay? So if you could please work on your own, or work with the buddy, or work with the group. No more than four people. And just what do you think this means? Anybody like to share? Yes. You can have the mic up here, please. Right here. Yes. Maya itself is not independent. Maya is the shadow of Krishna. It's the external energy of the Krishna. And as Krishna says that he is present in each um, even particle, in each atom. So there is, uh, when we see other people or other things, Krishna is present. So it's our view, whether we the world view, whether we see Maya or we see Krishna. Oh, very nice. Thank you so much. Yes. Anybody else like to share? Yes. I was trying to understand what does it mean. Uh, what I, from my perspective, I think there is a relationship between Maya and mind. That's what I feel like for something, for someone, like for example, watching a movie might be Maya, but for me it might not be Maya. So that's what I was, I might be wrong, but that's what I, that's what I think. There's a relationship between Maya and mind. Mm, okay, thank you. Yes? We thought of how in the 17th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says that a person is made of his or her faith. Mm. And According to the conditioning each person has, that uh, the mind perceives variously mm-hmm. in the world. And then uh, somebody brought up the verse in the second canto Bhagavatam, the Tirtam Yaprati, Eta Yaprati, the Chapmani, Tapidyata, Ayurvayam, the Tabasa, Yatakamaha. That whatever you perceive that's separate from me is my own experience. And one more we thought of was, was the that as soon as you see something, everything will, is God and is within God, but as soon as you see Dvitiya, something separate, then um, fear arises and you're in mind. Mm, I like that, the fear arises. If everyone can hold on to that, that fear arises. That will be an important point that we'll get to. Yes. Hare Krishna, I was thinking that uh, of the example, kind of a crude example, but for instance, you could be in a temple, but you could be thinking of being in a casino. Mm. Or you could be in a casino thinking, I should be in front of Radhavadava and Chandra. What's wrong? What's wrong with me? It's, it's interesting you say that because Prabhupada was asked once, do you make advancement faster if you're living in a temple? And probably said that depends on whether or not his mind is on another subject matter. 
Now, of course, if you're in the casino thinking, why don't I get to the temple? I, I remember once uh, overhearing a conversation between two of my god brothers. So one of them said, well, you know, my heart's at Mangalartik. And he said, why don't you bring the rest of your body? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else? Yes. It's also a matter of intention. Mm. So someone may do something just uh, to plot a false ego for prestige, mm. and someone might do it as a humble offering. Okay. Very nice. Anybody else? Yes. Yes, actually, one of the points has already been made that Maya still bought on the same Krishna. So, uh, expanding on that further, Alex, I became up with that. Division of things into material and spiritual is simply wrong. There's nothing material, nothing spiritual, specifically exclusively. You know, like you can make anything material into spiritual, you can make anything spiritual into material. It's so interesting that you say that because although Shula Prabhupada says statements like that frequently and although they're in the Shastra, I think many times we just sort of say, oh, oh, whatever. <laughs> you know? Yeah, some other quotes were to put in this particular uh, presentation. Was the Prophet said, to those who are fully Krishna conscious, there is no material world. They, they just don't see a material world. They see it as Krishna's energy. They're not, they're not perceiving it as material. It's like Sanatana Goswami in the Vrihadvaipachamrita talks about Gopal Kumar, that once he attains to perfection, that he explains that he's going back and forth between the material and spiritual worlds. He's with Krishna's pastimes in the spiritual world, and he's with Krishna's pastimes in the material world. And he said the only time he notices the difference is when he's coming and going. That when he's participating in the Leela in the material world, you can say, well, but I mean, he's a pure devotee, and he's participating in Krishna's Leela in the material world. Now, I'd like to uh, have a little caveat here. And I think it's something that we need to be very careful of. We talked about this sort of perspective as being one where you really see God as only transcendent. Right? God's over there and the material world's over there. But then there's another way of looking at things. God as totally imminent. Like you were saying, God's in every part of the world, God's in everything, everywhere. And Yes, that's a fact. You see, both are true. We have this chintabeta beta tattva. Both are true. God is totally separate. You can say God and the world completely, absolutely different. And you can also say God and the world are completely, absolutely the same. But God and his energies are not different. Now, there's a problem when you take this opposite view of only imminence also. So when you have the one view of God is only transcendent, then all of a sudden, 90% of the things we do in our life are disconnected with God. And we can't find any spiritual happiness in them. When you take the view that God is only imminent, then it seems to lead to a sort of giving yourself permission to do anything and calling it spiritual. So you see that also. I, mean, I remember when I was in college, when I was first taking up Christian consciousness, and one of my friends said, yeah, I know everything's spiritual, and I smoke it's spiritual. So, one has to be aware of that also. That Krishna is a person, he has things that he likes, and he has things that he doesn't like, and there's certain activities which it's pretty difficult to do them spiritually. I mean, if you're Garuda, you can eat snakes. You know, if you're Garuda, you can eat snakes. 
It's okay. But for most of us, if we're eating snakes, we're gonna, we're, it's going to put our consciousness into illusion. So there's certain activities. Although everything is Krishna, everything is Krishna's energy, there are certain gross activities that if we do them, it will put our mind into Maya. And therefore, we're asked to follow four principles. No illicit sex, no intoxication, no eating, no gambling. You know, why? Because as soon as we do those things, our ability to understand Krishna in the world is going to be compromised. Unless you're Garuda, and then you can eat snakes and not be compromised. Do you understand? So Garuda can do that. But for most of us, we can't, we can't do that. And we see even the great devotees, they don't generally engage in those things because they know Krishna doesn't like them. Does that make sense to everybody? You don't see great saintly persons doing those kinds of things. You know, or other like lying, cheating, stealing. These things, although again we can say that, well, everything's spiritual, it shouldn't matter what I do. But because God is also a separate person, he has certain things which particularly please him and certain things that don't. So how to get this vision that Krishna is everywhere and working to please him is really the secret here. So our first thing we want to change our understanding of is that real Krishna consciousness means that I see that everything is Krishna's. Everything is Krishna's. I don't see anything separate from Krishna. Nothing, ever. Prabhupada said Krishna consciousness is not narrow or stereotyped. Whatever we see, we see it has some relationship to Krishna. Now what this means is, what this means is, this is the first of the two really important points that we're coming to. If everything is related to Krishna, and everything is Krishna's energy, that means that there must be a way of dealing with things that are pleasing to Krishna. There must be some mission or purpose big psychological switch on a, on a macro level. Everything is Krishna's energy. Krishna is everywhere. Everything belongs to him. Therefore, there must be some way of interacting with everything, everyone, every time, every place, every circumstance that's in harmony with Krishna. There's got to be. Does this make logical sense to everybody? Yes. Right? If, if this is Krishna's energy, if Krishna's pleasant, present here in every atom, this belongs to him in one sense, it is him. There must be a way of dealing with this that's in harmony with what it is. That's the essential feature of truth, dealing with things in harmony with what it is, rather than out of harmony with what it is. I mean, it just sounds like, well, duh. <laughs> but that, that's what gets us into all of our trouble. And I, I always use the example of if you try to walk through a wall instead of a door, then you're not acting in harmony with the way the builder and the architect made the building. It's not their fault that you hurt your head. You know, they didn't, they didn't want you to walk through the door. And the wall. And we find this with bugs. Yes, you've got bugs stuck in your house, and they try to get out of the screen or a glass. I've had some bugs try to get out of a mirror. 
you know, and, and they're really persistent about it. Have you noticed this? They really, and they resist, like anything, your efforts to help them. And if they're a stinking insect, you know, you help them very gingerly. Uh, but, and, they're, and they're highly resistant. In fact, they will attack you. And, and I've had many times where I get the bug and I get it to the doorway and it flies back to the screen. Yes? After all, I just like, oh well, I kind of do other things with my life rather than save this bug. <laughs> so, the, what it means is that you act in harmony with the way things are meant to be. You see, if everything has, if everything's Krishna, everything's Krishna's energy, then everything has a purpose and a function. Just like with our bodies. Everything in our body has some purpose. Every once in a while the doctors say, oh, this is what this, you know, old organ doesn't have a purpose. And then later they find a purpose for it. Yes, you know that? Like they recently found a perfect purpose for the appendix. They found that what happens is that the body, uh, I mean, I'm not a doctor, it's just what I read. They found that the body stores uh, uh, beneficial bacteria in the appendix. And so if there's some disease that decimates the good bacteria in the colon, that the appendix will then have at least part of it store again and repopulate the intestines. But for a long time they thought, you know, this doesn't have any function. And I'm one of these generation sans tonsils. You know, you, know, you can have a lot of sore throats. What do you need it for anyway? Who knows what they're actually needed for? But everything in our body has some function. And saving everything in the universal body, so there's a lot of the Bhagavatam that's dedicated to the universal form. Where in the Bhagavatam? Second canto primarily, also 12th canto. So there's a lot of the Bhagavatam and 8th canto that's about the universal form. Understanding the universe as the body of God. Understanding that everything here. So that understanding, we shouldn't get into the problem of the eminence. Oh, whatever I do is spiritual because I am spiritual. But rather we see everything has its purpose. There's some, something that would be favorable to Krishna in, in this time, in this place, with this person, with this thing, in terms of my behavior, in terms of my thoughts, in terms of my emotions, in terms of my desires. There's a mission. And of course, this is the whole concept of Yukta Vairagya. So, okay, here's a nice quote. This is from the purport of Bhagavad Gita 5.2. Prabhupada writes, Action in Krishna consciousness automatically helps one escape the result of fruit of action, so that one need not descend to the material platform. Therefore, action in Krishna consciousness is always superior to renunciation, which entails a risk of falling. Interesting. Action in Krishna Consciousness, Prabhupada says, Bhagavad Purport 52, is always superior to renunciation. And here he's talking about just a dry renunciation. Renunciation of things that shouldn't be renounced or that I can't renounce. Okay, now we're going to look at our second big area, and that is our personal identity. So the first thing is just the world. How do we perceive the world? How do we perceive our outer reality? Have we taken our outer reality and said, okay, all this is just, you know, irredeemably material, and only these few activities are spiritual? Now I want to look at ourselves. How do we identify ourselves? So this time I'd like you to work individually. If you can just uh, write down 
all the different ways that you identify yourself. Who are you? If someone asks who are you, what's your list? Okay? This is, please just do this by yourself. One, two, three, go. Okay, how many of you have more than five identities? Oh my goodness. All right. I'd like you to look at your list and see, are there any identities there that are still going to be true when you're in Goloka Vrindavan with Krishna? If any of those identities are still going to be true when you're in Goloka Vrindavan with Krishna, can you circle those? Now all the rest of them are going to apply to what? Our what? Our body or our mind. Our body or our mind. They're not our real identities. And there, there's a very interesting step-by-step uh, -step procedure that happens because of our identity. Now, this is a particular phenomenon that's been noted in psychological studies, and it's particularly studied by advertisers and politicians, people who want you to do something that you might not do otherwise. Now, it might be something that's good. We're not saying that all advertisers and politicians want you to do things that are bad. <laughs> but uh, people who make propaganda, uh, people who are, who are politicians, advertisers, they look at how are we going to get people to buy this thing, to make this change. And again, it can be a good thing. It might be wearing seatbelts. It might be not living on the highway. It might be, it might be buying a particular kind of toothpaste. It could be all kinds of things. And what they found is that they have to appeal to identity. They appeal to identity. Because the way we function is like this. We have our particular identity. I am. Okay, so all of us are either a son or a daughter, right? We all have parents. So that's going to be, I assume that was one of your identities that you put down there. So everybody has parents, at least so far. It's scientific. <laughs> it's scientific advancement. We're going to have anybody without parents yet. And, you know, we might have an identity as a spouse, or maybe we're a parent ourselves, or as an aunt or an uncle, or we have brother or sister. So we have a kind of family identity, then we may have a kind of work identity, some organizational identity, some, you know, political affiliation, something like that. So then, up here, we have the ideal of that identity. So if you say, okay, well, I'm a middle-aged American husband and father of two who's a banker. And then you think, well, what would that person ideally do in such and such situation? I was talking to you we were meeting about this the other day with regard to someone that I visited their, their home. It was, they just bought the home. And so we were having a meal at a small uh, table in the, in the dining area. And the husband said, well, you know, we just bought this home so people understand that we're eating all of our meals in the breakfast nook. 
But you know, once you've had a house for a couple years, people expect you to have a real dining room table. And that means there's an idealized identity. You know, I'm a middle class American living in suburbia, and a middle class American living in suburbia has a dining room table within two years of buying a house. You understand? And, and that's actually the way we think. So one example of this was in Texas, there was a big problem with littering on the highways. And they tried all kinds of campaigns and still, they found that most of the people who were littering were young males. So they had a campaign that looked at the identity of young male Texans. So in these campaigns, they would have some big Texas football player. You know, there's some star. And he'd go to the side of the highway and pick up a soda can or a beer can and pick it up and crush it and go, don't mess with Texas. <laughs> and it worked. Why? Because people are thinking, I'm a Texan. You don't mess with Texas. <laughs> and they started relating that to throwing litter on the highways in Texas. You understand? Then they said, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. There was some island in the Caribbean where there was a bird that was going extinct because people were eating it. It was a bird that only lived on that island. And the way they got people to stop killing it is they made it one of the national birds. So if you were really patriotic, this became your bird. You know, and you weren't going to eat it anymore. And my friends, this is how we make our decisions. When we decide... Should I eat this? Should I buy this? Should I do this? Should I go there? Should I say this? All of the things we're deciding are based on our identity. I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, I am a daughter. Um, what does a good daughter do? Okay, that's what I should do. Does this all make sense to everybody? Yeah. That, that's, that this is how we function. Now, you can understand that if we have the wrong identity, we're going to make the wrong decisions, and the decisions we make will not be spiritually enlightening for us. So our first problem was not seeing the world as having a mission and a purpose, not seeing what we're doing in the world. What I'm doing, I don't see the purpose in it. I don't see the transcendental spiritual mission in it. I see, oh, I'm doing this, you know, I have to brush my teeth, I have to take Tylenol. <laughs> you know, I have to brush my teeth and take Tylenol because I'm such a fool that I came to the material world and rebelled against Krishna and this is all Maya and if I was really transcendental, I wouldn't do any of this stuff. But we don't see the purpose and the mission. And another problem is we don't see the right identity. So I'm thinking the reason I'm doing this is I'm going to attach this and I'm going to attach this this problem and that problem. And therefore, we end up with sadness and fear. As Vajayashi Guru said, we end up with fear. Now, why is that? Krishna talks about a cycle or a relationship in the Bhagavad Gita. What is the relationship Krishna talks about in the Bhagavad Gita? And one of the items is fear. Three parts in the relationship. One is fear. The cycle of fall down. 
What are the other two parts of it? Anger, good. Well, plus attachment. Attachment, fear, and anger. So we get attached to, what are we attached to? We're attached to I am a this, I am a this, I am a this, I am a this, and therefore if I'm a good this, I'm going to do this and this and this in the world. And we then see the world as a vehicle for us to be good this and that. The world, the mission of the world becomes the things in the world, the people of the world, they're the means by which I can be a good banker, I can be a good mother, I can be a good husband, you know, like that. Do you all understand that? Do you get that? So I, get, I have a false identity. I am a daughter. Okay? I want to be a good daughter. By the way, this can apply even to terrible identities, like I want to be a good criminal. Just by the way. It's not only for positive identities. I want to be the most clever criminal. You know, I want to be a really good drug dealer and not get caught. So it's not only for, for pious identities. So I'm a daughter, I want to be a good daughter, and therefore I see the people in the world, the animals, the objects, they become part of my mission to be a good daughter. Does everybody follow this? I'm using everything, okay, I'm going to use it for that, and to be a good mother, and to be a good friend, and to be a good banker, and to be a good whatever. Okay. So then I'm attached. Personally, I'm attached. These things, these relationships, these activities, they're going to enable me to be a good this and that. Does it work? Does it work? Hardly. Hardly. Sometimes. Sometimes people come, you know, on your, on your gravestone maybe. John Smith, beloved son, husband, father. But generally during our life, it doesn't work so well. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. A lot of times it doesn't work. We seem to fall short. Other people say, you know, and they may not say it directly. They may not directly say, I think you're a terrible husband. But if they say, you know, I have asked you ten times to fix the car, and you have, what do they say? You're not a very good husband. You're not a very good father. Yeah. Look, that report was due on Friday at 3 o'clock. It is now Tuesday at 10. Where is the report? You know, again, they may not be coming straight out and saying, you're a terrible employee. But that's the message that we're getting. And so we're constantly afraid. I'm not going to be able to be the ideal of my identity. It's not going to happen. It, it just won't happen. I won't be able to achieve it. I won't get the little thing on my headstone. Yeah. Or they'll say it just falsely, just to say something, because they think they should be nice to me when I'm dead. But they won't actually think that way. My kids will think, wow, what a terrible mother you are. You know, and the other members of the Hare Krishna movement, they'll think, boy, you're not a very good about me. Look at those doughy plates we go, I mean, how pretty thick you are. <laughs> yeah, so we're thinking like that. And therefore we're afraid. We're afraid we're going to lose the means to have to be our good identity in this world. We won't get what we need. Other people won't appreciate us. We won't appreciate ourselves. And then we become sad. We become angry. 
And then we become, going right back to the beginning of our seminar, trained. We're like, oh man, I thought if I married a devotee and chant Hare Krishna to my kids and had a deity in my house that I'd feel enlivened. Man, I'm just drained. But the reason is that we're thinking, I have a devotee wife and I have a devotee husband. That will make me a very good husband. Now I will be an even better husband than I could have been if I was not a devotee. And then, you know, when our wife asks us why we haven't fixed the car, right, I saw a little joke, you know, my dear wife, I know I have to fix the stuff. You don't have to remind me every six months, right? You <laughs> so I'm thinking that just, just because just because I'm the devotee, you know, somehow, and then we're like, oh, is it working? I should just be a renunciate. Why did I ever get in the world in the first place? I should just go to the bank of Radhakund and chant Hare Krishna, and then I'll be enlightened as if everybody sitting on the bank of Radhakund and chanting Hare Krishna is enlightened, which is a whole other topic. But we're going into it with, this, with a false sense of identity and therefore a false mission. Okay. And this is what causes all those problems we talked about. Right? And out of frustration and anger and fear, when we think, oh, well, really, Krishna consciousness means being hard-hearted, it just means neglectful, you know, it doesn't... I just not take care of anything in the world, I just reject it all as my own. So I use this slide a lot in my presentations. I really like it. And whoever did this, all kudos to them. So this is a changing our identity. Like we have to change the idea of mission. And again, I know I'm talking very generally. And if your mind's going, but she's not giving specifics. I will, I will, I will. If I'm still in this body and functional, then I will do that. And so <coughs> this is just on a general principle that I change my identity to I'm Krishna's servant. Now, <coughs> it may have to be done in a secret agent way. So why do I say secret agent? Because you can't necessarily present everybody else like that. You know, if you go to your wife and say, you know, look, I'm not really your husband. <laughs> I'm just Krishna's servant. Yeah, I mean, I work very well. So especially at your job that may, but even with your devotee family members, it may not work very well. I mean, it wasn't that I was traveling with my granddaughter recently, and at one point uh, she wanted to do something, and I told her she couldn't. And I told her she couldn't because she was my responsibility. I said, look, you know, you're my service, I'm responsible for you. And later on she said, so Grandma, I'm, I'm just a responsibility. Aww, <laughs> you know, and so I didn't mean it like that. So sometimes if we, if we say things like that to people, if we say, well, you know, you're my service, you're my responsibility, then you're like, oh, I'm just a burden. You don't really like me, you're not doing this because you want to. So therefore, it has to be sometimes a secret agent. You know, you're, you're going to still say to your wife, you're the most beautiful woman in the world. Right? So you're sort of to say that to your wife. I hope you're already saying that to your but internally, your identity is not, I'm saying this because I'm a good husband. It's, I'm saying this because I'm Krishna's uh, agent. And I give the example, just like if you went to North Korea, you wouldn't go into North Korea and say, I'm an American spy. Hey? So generally in this world, we're not openly 
acting as Christian agents. Why? Because in this world, people are not open to the idea. Yes? And I have to say, even sometimes when you're dealing with the other devotees, you can't be totally open about being Christian agent. Even sometimes with the other devotees, you may have to have this cover of this other identity. But it has to be just a cover. You know, if you're a secret agent, you may go in there as an English teacher, and you're going to be a good English teacher. Otherwise, you're going to get thrown out of the country for being a bad English teacher. But you're not in North Korea to be an English teacher. You're in North Korea to find out government secrets to send back to your country. Does this make sense? Okay. So if we solve these two problems, our mission and our identity, uh, then we're going to be able to have everything that we do in our life, provided we're not doing anything grossly sinful. I'm not talking about, not talking about you go know, murder people or get drunk and be spiritually liable. But other than that kind of thing. You'll be able to have all the things in your life be spiritually violent. Okay, we're going to look now at some quotes that will help us get into what, how do we do this specifically and, and what is the root. So this is a nice quote from Bhakti Vinod Thakur in our last seminar that will be on Sunday morning. We're going to go into quite a lot of the songs about the Minotakur. There, that last seminar is on surrender. What is surrender and how do I surrender? And there we're particularly uh, going to be referencing Bhakti Minot Sharanagati. So this is a little taste today, but we'll be, if you like this kind of stuff, we'll be doing a lot more of this on, on Sunday. So this is from Sharanagati. Why don't we read this together? Oh Lord, nothing further remains that may be called mine. Declaring that my wealth, family members, home, and life are truly yours, I continue as a mere servant to dutifully protect them. For the purpose of your service, I will earn money and bear the expense of maintaining your household. I see a left out a period. So here we see about mission. Bhakti Vinod is saying that my family life is part of the Lord's mission. I have some mission here. I have some business here. And I told this story many times, so uh, forgive me if you've already heard this. But many, many years ago in the old New York Temple on 55th Street, I had read something in the Sankirtan newsletter from my Yisqan Sanyasi saying that every time we go to a Bhagavatam class, a Shastra class, we should try to find something relevant for our own life. So I was very excited by that, and I went to class the next day saying, okay, what am I going to find you relevant to my own life? And the telepresident, the temple commander, uh, I still remember his name in his face. Anyway, he was giving the class, and the entire class he spoke about that if you really want to be Krishna conscious, you should just surrender to your immediate authority in the temple. Which for almost everybody was him. <laughs> so most of the class, I was just kind of like, uh, really? Come on. So I was mostly doing that, and at that time, uh, our oldest child was three, and I was expecting our, our second child. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, this has nothing to do with me. We, we live down the street, we have our own family, you know, I don't have any authority in the temple. And then I thought, okay, all right, well, I said I was going to somehow or other relate this to me, so how does this relate to me? And all of a sudden I thought, oh, our house is also a temple. Now, my husband is the temple president and I'm the temple commander. You know, we have our little ashram. And it was, that one moment was such a game changer for me. 
of a sudden, I saw my family differently. And I must say, until that time, in those days at Iskand, if you were married, especially married with children, you were at the lowest possible level of Christian consciousness. You were the dregs of the dregs of the dregs. You know, it's like, you're married and you have children? You have full-time books? I'm like, no, just part. <laughs> you know, so it was really, it was really intense. And, and oh, you know, I just thought, oh, why did I get married? And why did I have a child? And I ruined my whole spiritual life. And remember those days? So, then I just saw everything completely differently. I said, wait a minute. We have our own little temple. And there's a mission here. You know, there's as much a mission in dealing with these entities who are my family as there is a mission in dealing with the other devotees of the temple. Now, here's looking at a little broader mission. This is from the Chaitanya Charitamrita. This is in the story of Gopinath Patanayaka. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says something very interesting here. Why don't we read this together? Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, If you all adopt the renounced order and lose interest in dealing with pounds, shillings, and pences, who will take charge of maintaining your large family? Whether you are involved in material activities or become completely renounced, you five brothers are all my eternal servants, birth after birth. So here, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is saying, You have a mission of maintaining these other devotees. You know, you're not working just to take some of the money and give it as a donation to somebody else. Your use of your money to maintain your family is also, you said, part of my mission. And if we, let's take this a little broader. Would we like it if the president of our country was a full-on committed devotee Christian? Would we like that? No matter how, how you like, whatever you think of our country. Would you prefer that there was a devotee? Yes? What about the heads of all the states of the world? Would that be nice? Yes. The head of North Korea and Russia and Venezuela, if they were all devotees? Would we like the head of Monsanto to be a devotee? Would that be nice? The head of Walmart? Would we like it? We would like devotees everywhere. And this is, if we look at Bhagavad Gita, why is Krishna telling Arjuna to fight? What does is, what is Krishna want? What? So what Judas do to be in charge? He wants the management of government to be done by Rajarshas, by saintly persons. Krishna wants, actively wants, that all, at least the leaders in every field, be devotees. That's what he wants. Wouldn't it be nice if there were prasada restaurants everywhere? Right? Wouldn't that be lovely? I mean, it's interesting when you're in like a lecture in Gainesville. You know, the day before a codice, there's there's notices in the supermarket. <laughs> Seriously, like by the potatoes, you know. Tomorrow is a codice. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then they'll a codice, they'll put up signs. This is a codice friendly stuff in the supermarkets because there's so many devotees there. I mean, wouldn't that be nice? if that was all over the world. So there's a mission. It's not just the money we make from our job, and it's not just the time we spend with our family directly chanting Hare Krishna. There is a mission. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has a mission. Whether it's at the level of our, our family, 
which might be just one other person or ten other people, where it's at the level of our career, where it's at the level of the, the little plot of land that's around our house. What are we doing with that that would advance the mission of Lord Chaitanya? I think many of us think the mission of Lord Chaitanya is only when I take my body to an official legal temple of the Hare Krishna movement and I do some service there. But this is what my, it's so funny that my mother pointed this out back in 1973. I mean, she pointed out, I thought, oh, she's just being critical. But she was right. You know, that we weren't going to have a society just by having everybody live in an ashram. That we were going to have a society by having people become expert in all the different areas of the world as devotees. But of course it has to be integrated. If you just, oh okay, I'm an expert banker and I'm an expert teacher and I'm an expert whatever and my devotional life is just my religion over there. That wouldn't do it, would it? It has to be where we integrate and see what is the mission here. Okay, we're going to go on now and the purport to this uh, particular verse, Srila Prabhupada is quoting Bhakti Tananta Saraswati. So here he's saying that one should remember that he's eternally a servant of Krishna. This is the identity point. I am a secret agent. I am a servant of Krishna. A servant. That means I have some service here. Right, going on in the purport. Again, according to Sananta, whether we're working with money or whether we're working as a renunciate, Again, I have some service to do. I'm a servant. There is a service for me. And again, going on in this purport. Both of these are external. Okay, now, now we're combining identity and mission. If I'm a servant and there's a purpose for everything, what I'm supposed to find as a servant is how to I please and satisfy Krishna in this situation. And you say, well, how do I satisfy Krishna? We'll get there. Just, oh, by the way, and if you chant Gayatri, the solar noon here is at 118. So what I'm going to do is break at 115. Because lunch is at 130, I'm supposed to go at 130. You're not going to go to 130, I'm going to break at 150. Is that okay with everybody? I went and looked it up. So then what's the benefit going on in this purport? Even if one is involved in great material affairs, that's another period I was in, he will not become attached. Because what is this attachment from? This attachment is from the wrong identity and the wrong mission. Alright? The problem is when I forget I'm a servant of Krishna. Now when I forget I'm a servant of Krishna, I don't just think I'm nothing. I think I'm something else. Yes? Everybody follows this? Yes. Okay. Now, everything becomes spiritually enlivened. If I'm always conscious, Krishna is the master, I'm an eternal servant, I'm, I'm liberated, and, and what's with periods with me and this stuff? I don't know. <laughs> I'm about what I did with this. My God. And, and I've used these slides for years in different places. Somehow I never caught it till today. Liberate a person in any condition and nothing will entangle us. What is 
that mean, my dear friends? It means that we will be spiritually enlightened, always. Okay, now we're going to do some work with this slide. This for me, this particular letter that Jill Prabhupada wrote to Jai Maharaj in 1972, I have just found that if we live our life by this, okay, look, everything that Prabhupada said everywhere is, is wonderful and, and ecstatic and perfect, and perfect, and any sentence you can take from Jill Prabhupada is a life changer. But I think all of us have certain things that we go, wow, this is really a guide for me. And you may not feel that way about this quote, but for me, this particular quote, even though it's just in a letter to a particular person, I feel that it's capturing the essence of how to do this specifically. And you notice I put numbers here because I found four main points. Okay, let's read this together. The secret of surrendering to Krishna is that such surrendered devotee sees that everything is part of Krishna's plan. Whatever is meant to be, I am doing. Let me do it with my full attention to every detail. Let me become absorbed in such service, never mind what it is. Let all other considerations be forgotten, and only my desire to do the best for Krishna's alone pleasure is my motive. Oh, I know what happened. I went to one slide in the presentation and took out the periods. That's what happened. And I thought I was just doing one slide. I took out the periods and called presentations. And I kind of all went, what's going on Okay, sorry about that. I didn't notice that until just now. All right, so these are the four specific things to do. These are the four keys. If we do these, I will absolutely guarantee you, absolutely, money back guarantee. Oh well. That, that you will find everything you do to be enlightening. Prabhupada says in the end of Bhagavad Gita, when Sanjaya is remembering the universal form, and he says, I'm feeling a thrill. And there Prabhupada says, not just for one moment, but at every moment, one will feel a thrill. So how? I thought this is the way to do it. This is how you do it. And this formula works even in difficult, painful, awful, terrible, everything has gone wrong, nothing has gone according to my plan, everybody hates me, I hate myself, the world's crumbling, it doesn't matter. It works in those situations. What to speak of in the, it's a sunny day and everybody's saying nice things about me kind of situations. So what I'd like us to do with this is, um, first I'd like to do some, some group work with this and then uh, some individual work. So I'd like us to get into, into groups and just take one of these. So at each, each group, and again, if you really don't like to work with groups, just work on your own and that's okay. We won't force you to work with group. So I'd like each group to take one of these and talk about what, what does this mean on a practical level? It's probably best that you take a specific situation. Take a situation that, that's a common one. It might be, you know, cooking for your family or going to work, you know, commuting to work, dealing with some clerk in a store. Some, pick some situation that people, that all of us are going to encounter in our lives, some universal situation and how you would apply this particular thing, just that one thing. Everybody clear what I'm saying? Should we maybe do it together? Let's do it together.
Okay, does everybody shop sometimes? Yeah. Does everybody shop? Is there anybody who never shops? Okay. And so when you shop, you've got to deal with the... Maybe you're shopping and you're looking for something and you can't find it, and you're trying to find somebody help to help you in the store. Okay? Is that a pretty mundane thing to be doing? So, and you're really having trouble finding this, you can't find anyone in the store who helps you, and the first few people that you ask, they don't know anything. You know, somehow it's a kind of, kind of store where they hire people who don't know anything about the store. Maybe one of the stores. The qualification to work there is abysmal ignorance about what's, what exists in the store. Are you know something about the store? No, sorry, you can't be hired to work here. So imagine it's one of those places and you've already asked few people and you're going up to the third, fourth person and you're asking them. Okay, so give me some idea about number one. And you could even be late for something. Maybe you're supposed to, you know, you had to buy something to be back at a certain time, but other people depending you to bring this thing back. Okay, so, so you have some meeting you're going to, your family's depending on you, or there's some service to the temple you've got to bring the thing back for, and you've asked three people and none of them have helped you, and you're just about walking up to ask the fourth person. How would we apply number one? Krishna is delaying me. Some other thoughts. Yes? Krishna's teaching me patience. Okay. Yes? Krishna's testing my faith. Oh? <laughs> what else? Uh, humility and asking for someone's help instead of trying to figure it out on your own. Okay. I get a chance to develop humility. Else. Yes. Tolerance. Tolerance. Yes. I really don't know, but I it's Christian. I really don't, I don't know, know what the what the reason is, but I trust. Yeah. I have some trust. that I need to ask for help. He wants me to develop, he wants me to be resourceful. Yes? To be more responsible and Oh, okay. You see that sign in the temple every day, right? Your inability to plan ahead does not constitute my crisis or something.
But anyway, there's, a, there's one section of that book where he talks about time. And he talks about how most of us think that we own our time. And we think, you know, the, the time I spend working is a grievous tax I have to pay. You know, the time I spend for my family or other things, it's, it's all like an imposition on me. I should really be able to do whatever I want to do with my time. And anyone who ever asks anything of me is just imposing on me. And he says, but especially those of us who've dedicated our lives to God, especially if we've said, you know, especially those of us who've taken initiation, those of us who've said, my dear Lord, I am yours. Is our time ours? And can we create time? Anybody here able to create time? No. No. So time does not belong to us. And he makes this point really funny. He says, you know, if you're already said to God, my time belongs to you, and if God appeared in front of you, face to face, and said, okay, for the next 24 hours you need to do whatever I say. He said that we would be totally relieved if he said, look, for half an hour, spend your time listening to this really obnoxious lady on the train, and the rest of the day, you can do what you like. We go, oh, And he said, that's really the situation we're in every single day. Our time belongs to Krishna. He can say, this is what I want you to do with your time. And the things that we feel are imposing, are difficult, if we say, Krishna's given me this to do. He's put me in this situation because he has a mission for me. He has some service for me to do. Maybe it's just to be kind. What an amazing, outrageous thought. You know? I mean, Krishna says that. Bhagavad Gita, 12th chapter. One who is a kind friend to all living entities is very dear to me. Maybe the only thing that I'm supposed to be right now is kind to somebody who's otherwise obnoxious and difficult. Or to be kind and patient in a difficult situation. Maybe that's all I'm meant to do. Maybe that. Maybe that's enough. I also like to think. I said I'm not going to do this as good work. I, I I thought about you know what's really important and valuable in life. You know, according to our Gaudiya Vaishnava philosophy, if somebody eats one piece of prasada, then they get to take a human birth next life, right? Yes. So let's say you have a, a, a sinful, materialistic life and you eat one prasad cookie, or you touch the Bhagavatam, right? Prabhupada says to the book distributors, if people just say, well, this is a very nice book, they just appreciate, even when you buy it, they just appreciate it, right? They say it's a nice book, they just touch the book. Not only do they get a human birth, but they get a birth in a good family. You think about this for a minute. With all the things they're doing in their life, they just touch the book, they just eat a cookie, Right? And if you went to that person and you said, my dear sir, my dear ma'am, uh, what's the most important thing that you've done in your life? Do you think they're going to mention that? <laughs> the most important thing that I did in my life was when, you know, that, that sidewalk peddler came up to me with this book, and I looked at it, and I touched it, and I said, no, I don't have any money with me, but boy, that's a really beautiful book. 
Would anybody say that was the most important thing that they knew? No. You know what that means? That means that we don't know what's the most important thing we're doing in our life. We don't know. Maybe it's one sentence we say to one person. I'm always astonished that often what people tell me are the most helpful parts of my classes were the tangents that I didn't plan to go on. You know, I'll spend hours planning for a class, and then in the middle of the class, I might think of something else to say. And people come, that thing you said, and I'm thinking, I didn't plan to say that. That wasn't, wasn't even really part of it. And sometimes people will come to you 10 years later and say, You know, or when you served me on Janmashtami and you smiled at me and asked me how I was doing and just, it turned my life around. I have a devotee who told me that when I asked her to do a particular service, that all of a sudden she felt like a worthwhile person and she ended up starting to get free of disease that had plagued her for 10 years. And I just said, hey, could you do the service? I didn't think it was very important. Sometimes the things that other people say are the most important, we don't even remember. Does that happen to you? Somebody says, when you do this, when you said that, and you're like, oh, great, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> so how do we know what's really important? Whatever's meant to be, that I am doing. The situation that I am in, right here, right now, every right here, every right now, that's the most important. Wow, what, what a change. Because our mind is generally going, I want to change, I want to change, I want to change, I want to change, I want to change. Right? I mean, this, this is about things other than sadhana. But this happens even in our sadhana, doesn't it? Oh, I've got to finish this round so I can do something else. Yeah. 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 Let me finish the Bible time. So I go, okay, how many more pages do I... I said I was going to read 43 pages. Oh my God, I'm on page 40. You know, can I do something else? Instead of being attentive, right? You're talking about rapt attention. But this is not just rapt attention in the Bible time. And it's not just rapt attention in the Hare Krishna mantra. It's wrapped attention in. And this we're going to go on to the next thing. Number two, let me do it with my full attention to every detail. Okay, so I'm back in the store. What would that mean? Full attention to every detail. Pay a lot of attention in the interaction with those. Okay, in the people interaction, right? What else would I be paying full attention to? Yes? Okay, really looking at the labels and the stuff, so really paying attention to the detail of what I'm looking for. So my task, paying full attention to the task. What else am I going to be paying full attention to? Yes? In anything, do, in anything you do, like at your work maybe, you might anymore email to your colleague, so sometimes you mistype things or... Yes, like I took all the periods out. I'm a good example of what not to do. Sometimes devotees get to be bad examples too. What were you going to say? Uh, not worry much about what's going to happen if I get late. So focus on the present and search and search that. That's very nice. So we talked about that before. Um, being in the present. And, and this is also what Krishna teaches Arjuna over and 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 over. Success, failure, result. Right? 
that what you do is you focus on your intention at the moment and your connection at the moment and not the good or bad result. Now, going back to the beginning of this presentation, does that mean you become hard-hearted or irresponsible? Does it mean you become hard-hearted or irresponsible? We think that. Well, if I'm just focused at the present and I stop worrying about the result, then I'll be irresponsible or I'll be uncaring. That's what our mind tells us. You'll be irresponsible. You'll be uncaring. You have to worry. You're the doer. You got it. You control the result. And if you don't get this, you're everything. You know, I don't care if you don't want to cart like you say. But Krishna said, yes. Yes, forget the past that sleeps and never the future to dream at all, but bear with times that are with the hypocrisy shall always. And all we ever have is the present, by the way. You know, you don't know if you're going to live to get out of the store to get bring that thing back to wherever you're going to. I, I thought about this a lot as a, as a Google teacher, and especially, many of you know Jashree, who was here? When you were done? So when we lived in Detroit, she was our neighbor, and her children went to my nursery school. One of the children, right, Linda died when she was three. Uh, she drowned in the pool on, on Providence Hospital. So she had been my student in the nursery school. My daughter was the same, was the same age as her. And having one of my students die at a young age like that made me think always as a local teacher, I'm not just teaching the children for what they're going to do when they graduate. My purpose in teaching them is not only, that's also there, so they'll get a good education so when they are 20, when they are 25, it will be useful. But I thought I should teach them in such a way that they're getting benefit now. That they're connecting with Krishna now. That there's some good experience for them in the now. Because there may not be an age 25. May not happen. And am I interacting with them in such a way that we are having a, a Krishna conscious interaction in this moment? You know, and who's the one who's going to take care of our results, everybody? One, two, three. Krishna. And ain't none of us going to be able to take care of the results. You can try. Go ahead. Good luck. <laughs> but the thing that we can do is that we can, we can become absorbed in what we're doing at the moment. Now that doesn't mean, again, that you just be irresponsible. Part of what you're doing at the moment is trying to get that thing back at a particular time. That's part of your absorption, but you're absorbed in the moment. What other details would we give our attention to? People interaction tasks, what other details? Yes? Finding the, most, the best price on whatever. Okay. Okay, what other details? Quality. Quality of what? Okay, so the price and quality of what we're buying. Okay, what other details? How we're feeling. Oh, thank you. So our own internal state, our own internal thoughts, our own internal feelings. I really like the gentleman said, maybe Krishna's having fun. Yes? Did he leave? The one who said Krishna's Oh, there you are. So, one of the things that is interesting about uh, 
being a devotee of Krishna rather than just being a devotee of God is that our understanding of God is that he's a 15-year-old boy. <laughs> I mean, it's rather, you know, interesting. He's not... You have a mission to do. <laughs> do it well. You know, it's not like that. It's like, hey, hey, you know, why don't you go to the, the Brahmanas over there and ask them for something to eat? And they come back and according to Kavi Kandapur, they say, uh, uh, how can nectar become salty? I mean, you told us, you're giving fallible instructions, and you told us to get the charity for the Brahmanas. And it's like, oh, well, you know, it's like when you're bigger. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> You're right there next to God, okay? You're next to God. He's right there. And he says, go do this. And it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, it's okay. Now try this. <laughs> and a lot of people say, wait, I didn't work out the first time. I don't know. <laughs> and he's funny. I mean, the, the most outrageous is Gober Del I mean, that's like the top of the top of the top. Don't worship him, Val. Why don't you worship the mountain? <laughs> later, later, later. No, right now. <laughs> you know, and so they do that. You worship the mountain. And then Indra doesn't exactly like it. The result is catastrophic. Literally catastrophic. I mean, it's literally catastrophic. And they don't say, you know, we're not listening to you anymore. They don't say that. They don't say, you know, that didn't work out very well. Next time we're going to worship Indra. And then when he solves the problem, he solves it by picking up a mountain. Is that a very reasonable solution for a flood? <laughs> Could you imagine if there was a flood and the government said, okay, we're going to pick up a mountain? <laughs> that's a real non sequitur, you know? It's like, it's not, you know, we should climb the top of the mountain, go over the mountain. And, he has, and he's fun. And he's fun. So part of our attention to every detail is this attention to our inner state. Am I having fun? I was asked recently, uh, this was and very recently also I was asked this. How can we make, you can deal with it later, it's fine. Like the pieces are both there, they're not going to work. Ha mother in How can we make Krishna consciousness fun for our children? And I said, if you are conscious of Krishna, it will be fun. And if you are not having fun, I said, I don't know what you're conscious of, but it's your name, Krishna. You're conscious of someone else, because Krishna is fun. So one of the things that you're going to, when we say attention to, my full attention to every detail, the internal thoughts and feelings are not just philosophical. I philosophically understand that there must be some plan of Krishna's here, although I can't figure out at all what it is. I'm getting more and more frustrated with this plan of Krishna. But to have fun and say, okay, all right, I'm the servant of a 15-year-old boy, and what fun thing does he have in mind for me today? And it, it's, a, it's a whole different way of looking at the world. It really is. You know, it, it's not, we're not just talking philosophy. We're not jnana yogis. We're bhakti yogis. We're not in jnana yoga. Jnana yoga is a bona fide form of yoga. It's not what we're doing. 
And so, if, if we're paying attention to every detail, if we see that we're frustrated, we're aggravated, or we're just simply dry philosophers, then we're also not really paying attention to details. Okay, now, this one, number three. Let me become absorbed in such service, never mind what it is, Mr. Period. Let all other considerations be forgotten. Uh, in modern psychology, what do they call this state, the psychological state? Does anyone know what the, the current name for the state is? Mindfulness. Mindfulness. What else? I think that was the previous one. Being in the zone. Being in the zone. What else do they call it? Flow. They call it flow. Flow with the flow. When you're, you're so totally absorbed in what you're doing that you forget about everything else. Remember we said we were going to, we started this thing, we looked at two elements of Astanga Yoga. What were the two? Does anybody remember? I know that was a long time ago, way back at like 11, 11 10. Prachikara and Dharma. So here Prabhupada's talking about Prachikara and Dharma. You're, you're holding this conception. You have this conception. Right? What's your conception? Everything's part of Krishna's plan. What I'm doing is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm giving my full attention to every detail. You're holding that. And because you're holding that, you experience Prachitara. The, the material conception goes away. You no longer see the world as material. Isn't that far you can do that at a hardware store, at a grocery store. You don't need to go to the Himalayas and, you know, just live on sour berries and find a deer skin to sit on and that's all thing people and, you know, practice for a hundred thousand years and mechanically try to withdraw your senses. When we become absorbed, we hold that. And we had that picture of holding a bird. You're holding it gently. That's, you're not, like, strangling it. But when you hold that conception that this is this is Krishna's plan, he knows what he's doing, he's got me in the right place, and I start to become absorbed in the details, to do it first class, then I forget. Maybe somebody, maybe, you know, someone will think of a bad wife because I didn't find this, or a bad devotee, or a bad whatever, because I didn't find this thing on time. That identity that I have to find the right thing on time and get back on time because I have to be a good this or that or the other thing, which is what's causing this all of our separate thing in our anxiety, just disappears. It just goes away. And when we do this properly, even our material miseries really kind of go away. When one loses some awareness of them, or they don't really affect you. You know, you may still have a backache or whatever, or a toothache, or, but you, your awareness of them kind of goes away. Now, people try to artificially get in this state, uh, I think, uh, to a large extent, with modern entertainment. I mean, a lot of the, my own conviction is that a lot of the purpose of modern entertainment, computer games, movies, television, and so forth, is to try to artificially enter the state of full absorption where everything else goes away. And I once had a, a teenage boy was visiting us with his family. He got up at 5 in the morning, went right to the computer game, 
I don't even know if he was in toilet. I mean, he didn't come to breakfast. He didn't change his clothes. And finally, after the afternoon, the parents said to him, get off the computer and eat. So that this sort of imitation of this of the stage. People, we're looking for that, aren't we? Aren't we looking for something that's total, that we get so absorbed that everything else goes away? I mean, it, my dear friends, this is not a hard thing to do. It really it just takes practice. Okay, now let's look at, uh, I'll send it right down, think something, here's your thing. So let's write some things down here for free. How do we do this? How do we come, become so absorbed like that? Yes? Can I ask a question? Yes, of course. As the mother of uh, young toddlers. Yes. You know, it, it, it seems like it's a real uh, skill to learn to be absorbed in Krishna's service uh, while I'm paying attention to the details of the service. At the same time, you know, taking the children, they're also servicing, you know, young little boys who can't, you know, it seems like we never really ever take our attention off of those, you know, something will happen. So could you comment on that? Well, we'll look at that a little bit um, tomorrow. Tomorrow at the afternoon session, we're going to look a little bit as to, because my, my initial answer was going to be something we're going to talk about later, is how taking care of those little kids can immediately remind you of Krishna. Uh, but it's again, this is my service. I'm doing it for Krishna. I'm not doing this to be a good mother, or a good wife, or even a good member of our International Society for Krishna Consciousness. I'm, I'm doing this because Krishna's put me in this situation. Krishna's given me, he has some mission, he has some plan for me with these particular jivas. He's put me in a situation where I have these little kids running around the house. You know, I'm trying to cook dinner while they're running around the house and making sure they don't, you know, put the whole toilet paper into the toilet and you know, just spill the whole, like, whole gallon of ghee all over the floor or something like that while I'm trying to cook, and I also don't want to burn what I'm cooking, and I don't have a ready on time, my husband's coming home, and, you know, so, but to get out of that identity, Krishna's put me in this situation, what is he trying to have me do? And then I get into the detail of how I'm going to manage that. Okay, how am I going to manage that? Are you going to manage it perfectly? Probably not. Again, it's not the result that you're looking for. You're looking for the intention, looking for the mood. How am I going to manage it? How am I going to make sure that my little toddler boys feel loved and cared for and they don't kill each other themselves? And how am I going to manage the cooking? And, and, you know, and you get absorbed in that detail and then, but doing it for Krishna, which is what we're going to get to in number four, particularly. And another question comes to my mind. I mean, instead of moving away from it. Um, and this is... Um, this is an, another pitfall. So when Krishna talks about the fall down sequence, Bhagavad Gita 262 and 263, does anyone know what he says in 264? Anybody? Yes? No? Anybody know 264? Okay, he talks about being free of attachment and aversion. And it's, it's very interesting that our tendency in, in difficult situations is to go into aversion. You know, I don't like this situation. In this situation, I, I'm not very good at my material identity. I'm not getting the things from my, that are going to really give me my attachments to my identity. I, I want to get rid of the situation. 
but the not aversion is not, that's what we covered at the very beginning. Aversion is not detachment, hard-heartedness, irresponsibility, callousness, neglect. That, that's not where we want to go to. We actually want to go into the situation, but as a service. I don't want to go into the situation in my false identity. I'm not going to absorb myself in the situation as, a, as trying to be a good mother and a good wife and a good discipline. But I'm going to go into the situation. I'm a secret agent. There's some mission here for my master. I, I mean, I haven't been a spy in this life, maybe another life. But I'm sure spies don't always know exactly what they expect to find. Right? They go to some meeting at the embassy, and they're, they're not quite sure. They're thinking, I might find out something here right, that would be useful for my government. So we're kind of exploring and having fun. I, what's, what's Krishna's mission for me here? Let me become absorbed in every detail and trust that Krishna's put me here for a reason. And how can I deal with everyone according to that? Is that right? Does that Can I ask one more question? Well, if you want to, I'm just worried about the time. Um, if we have time at the end. Is that right? So any suggestions as to how we can have this full absorption in that situation? Yes? Well, if we have a taste for it and um, it satisfies us, then it's easy to be absorbed. Okay, so if it's a situation, but I particularly picked one that I figured you wouldn't have any taste for. <laughs> it was quite intentional that I picked a situation that I figured probably nobody materially would enjoy it. But it wouldn't be a material test, would it be? Right? No. It would have to be a spiritual test. So I think what you're talking about there, what we can relate to, is how can we find a spiritual test in there? And by the way, we're going to be talking about that Krishna link this afternoon. How can we turn our attempt to get material rasa into an attempt to get spiritual rasa? Yes? Practice by practicing. By practicing. Now, As part of the book that Ramini and I are working on, I'm, I'm reading a book about practice and how uh, there's a book about nature and work in the world, Varna. And to what extent our abilities and talents come out by practice rather than just inherently. And the author is citing a lot of studies showing that just simply doing the same thing over and over again doesn't constitute practice. In fact, I remember uh, one of my teachers a long time ago said, practice doesn't make uh, perfect, it just makes permanent. Depends what you're practicing. So in order for practice to improve you, what you're practicing has to stretch you a little bit each time, and you have to know what you're supposed to practice. You have to have a clear idea of what your goal is, what you're supposed to practice, and each time you practice, you aim for a little bit of an improvement out of your comfort zone. So I would agree with practice, but it's got to be a, a, a kind of intentional uh, practice and knowledge, a sacrifice of knowledge, not just that I'm doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, expecting to get a different result. Okay? Other ways that we can become absorbed? Association. With association. Of course, you don't have much association there in the shop, probably. 
right there in the shop at that time. How are you going to become so absorbed that everything else becomes forgotten? Yes. Oh, very nice. Okay, good. Okay, so think of a picture. Think of a verse. A song. What else? A pastime. Did I just mention a pastime about the coward boys? How they went, they didn't get it, right? Look at that. Here I am at the store, not able to get it. Oh yeah, the coward boys, they went out and they didn't get anything either. You understand? How else did I become absorbed? <laughs> okay. But I want to become absorbed in what I'm doing. So it's not just that I, it's not that I want to cut out what I'm doing and become absorbed exactly in something else. I want to find a way to get absorbed in what I'm doing as service. Yes? I came in a little late, but he kind of filled me in. Um, oh, wow. It's happened to me before, actually. I only said like 30 seconds of stuff in all this time. <laughs> or he's a great summarizer. But anyway, go ahead. Well, okay, I'll get to that idea. And it happened to be, it's happened right before, before. Okay, here. Okay. It's really, it's happened to me before, actually. Yeah, okay. At Walmart. Okay, good. But I needed this thing. I never got it, actually, but uh, I was really determined. So that's one thing, determined, but kind of the whole reason, the whole reason I'm doing it is because I'm trying to serve, right? So if you're really in love, if you're really, if you're really, because love means always thinking of that person, right? So if you really, uh, <clears throat> kind of where I'm getting at is like... You become absorbed in the person yeah, for whom you're I'm doing it. determined, like, you know, I, I just... I'm going to please this person. It's like, yeah. if I don't get it, it's the end of my life or something. <laughs> oh, you got to be detached from the result. Okay, right, right. I, I think this really brings us to the last one, which ties it all together. Only my desire to be the best for Krishna's alone pleasure in is my motive. Now, this is, this is the secret that ties it all together. That I'm trying to make Krishna happy. And only Krishna happy. There's a definition of Krishna Prema given in Nectar Devotion by Dusamita Sindhu that all of our feeling of kinship is, is reposed in the Lord, that He's our only object. Does that mean neglect and irresponsibility? Because people think that. Going back again at the beginning of the presentation. They think if I only care about pleasing Krishna, I'm not going to care about how I treat this person in the shop. Because they're not Krishna. You understand? I'm not going to care about how I treat my kids. Because they're not Krishna. I only care about how I'm pleasing Krishna. That's not what it means. It means that how I'm dealing with my kids and this person in the shop, how I'm dealing with the items in the shop, because they're all what? Krishna's energy. They're all Krishna's. But if, if you can get this, again, it's one of these things where it's a small change that makes a big difference. We're not trying to please anyone independent of Krishna. Okay, so I'm teaching all of you, so I can be concerned about what you think of me. Is she a good teacher? 
she quoting enough slogans? <laughs> oh, I tell I tell you, a class in front of people who are of all Indian background but not devotees. And somehow, I don't know, it's like I must have quoted every sloka that I knew in that class. I didn't even intend to, it just kind of happened. At the end of the class, this one gentleman came up to me and says, you know more of the Bhagavad Gita than I do. You're American. <laughs> and he decided to become a Hare Krishna devotee. Really, that's what happened. And I said, oh, that's why Krishna put all these verses in my head. But it's, it's not, if I'm trying to please all of you, then I have the wrong God. I have the wrong shelter. Does that make sense? Yes. You know, some of you may like this class, some of you may not. Some of you say, God, I'm not going to go to any more work presentations. If I just give so many presentations, you know, I didn't even come. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't make happen. You know, I do? But instead of trying to please the other people you're working with or yourself, which is all according to your false identity. Instead, am I pleasing Krishna? Is Krishna pleased with how I'm teaching this Is Krishna pleased with how I'm judging Is he the one who's pleased? Is he the one who's smiling? And when we do that, yes, immediately all the other things follow. Although probably mentioned it last in this letter. As soon as we do that, then we can do everything else. I'm just trying to please Krishna. Okay, I think this will do the group. How do we please Krishna? Okay, if you can get in groups, or do it by yourself if you're an introvert, two, three, no more than four, five minutes. How do we please Krishna? And taking the same situation, how would you please Krishna? What would be pleasing to Krishna? How do you know it's pleasing to Krishna? Okay, some thoughts about how we can please Krishna. By what? Well, there's no devotees there in the shop, so how do you do that? Okay, by thinking of him? Yeah. He likes that. Okay. Anybody else? How are we going to please Krishna? Yes. Yes, somebody. Yes. Krishna likes to see that we try. Trying, trying to do what? Trying, we're trying to do this, Krishna. How? To get the problem. We're waiting for the four people. They were trying. No, we're, we're trying to do our service. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so he's just by our intention for our service. Okay. Even if we don't make it. Okay. How else can we be pleasing Krishna? Yes? Um, even if you don't find what you're looking, uh, what you went in, um, looking for um, one is, if possible, use your intelligence to find some alternative to please Krishna. Oh, okay. Um, another one is, do it in a prayerful mode, feeling dependent on Krishna. Okay, find alternative and you have a prayerful, dependent mood. Respectful. Attitude of gratitude. Gratitude. You know, it's really interesting about about gratitude. So uh, I was I was reading with one one uh, one person who was writing about meditation, and he was saying how when we're in pain, 
we often think, oh, when this pain goes away, I'll be so happy, right? And your toes hurting, your toes hurting, your head's hurting, your head. and you're thinking, oh, well, this is gonna be so happy. And then he said, when it's gone, you forget to be happy. Because <laughs> then it's gone, you just like take it for granted. And we tend to focus on the problem. And you're not thinking, well, I'm in the store, I have a human body, I'm walking, I can see, you know, there's so many, and I, I'm trying to, to connect with Krishna and some gratitude for the situation. Okay, what else? Yes? I was just remembering that purport from Bhagavad Gita 331 where Prabhupada oh. says that if you're trying to follow Krishna's instructions sincerely, but you can't do it, if you don't resent yeah. it, yes. you don't resent the principle that you mm -hmm. can't do it, then, then you'll be successful. That is such a helpful purport for anybody struggling with anything. But thank you. What verse is it? 331. Yes. One of the few numbers I remember. Uh, on a lot of similar, similar line, there's another number, 640. Nahi Kalyanakrit Kashchutdurgatatatagachati. That one who is endeavoring for the auspicious will never come to any bad end. So don't, like, like relax, basically. Like we're we're trying uh, to be us uh, to to do something good, and just remember that Krishna has has said that you know the the end will be good, whatever you know, even if it doesn't appear that way. So you please Krishna by remembering that. Yes, very nice. Now, how do we know that Krishna's pleased? So this is what I'm going to end with. How do we know that we've gone out of this uh, illusion? And, and it's draining of energy that Krishna's pleased. Uh, Prabhupada writes in the purport of Bhajali, the 12, 194. He says, for one who becomes Krishna conscious, the distinction between material and spiritual varieties does not exist. An advanced devotee sees everything as one, Krishna. One who is in full Krishna consciousness does not distinguish between things material and spiritual. He takes everything to be related to Krishna and therefore spiritual. And then what does one feel? Right? One will feel peaceful. Now, does that mean that one's going to be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't find the tapioca. It's okay. No, you know, that's good. You know, if it's not okay, everything's okay, and if it's not okay, it'll still be okay. <laughs> Another one is, in the end, it won't be okay, so if it's not okay, it's not the end.
It's like, I'm just here as an agent. I'm just here as an agent. And, 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 and Krishna says, this is actual freedom from all miseries caused by material co content. Krishna does not say, freedom from all material miseries means that you have a lot of money in the bank and you have good health and you're beautiful and everyone thinks you're wonderful. That's not what he says. He says it's by relishing and rejoicing in self. And that's the next thing, is that one will feel happy. And this is another one of my favorite quotes. This is from Krishna book, chapter 20. For the materialistic person, worldly affairs become too aggressive, whereas to a person who is in Krishna consciousness, everything appears to be happily situated. What's really sad is I've met devotees who've heard that quote and said, isn't that reversed? I'm going to read this again. For the materialistic person, worldly affairs become too aggressive, whereas to a person who is in Krishna consciousness, everything appears to be happily situated. And I seriously, I've met devotees and said, maybe the editors messed that up, you know? Maybe it's the devotees see everything that's aggressive and the materialists are always happy. And I'm like, then why are you chanting Hare Krishna? <laughs> So why do you feel this internal on the observer? Yeah, Bible Gita, chapter 5, chapter 13. On the observer. I'm here as, as an agent. I'm not the doer. I'm not responsible for the results. Krishna's the enjoyer. I'm not here. I'm not here in my false identity as the Lord of the world. Right? I am withdrawn from the false identity. And I hold the real identity. And when I hold the real identity, then I feel peace and joy. And that peace and joy are the primary subjective experiences that one is pleased So I thank you very much. Um, I do want to end now. Uh, so we have time to chant Gautri before lunch. And uh, what we are going to be doing uh, next class is this topic. Now this is going to be, uh, particularly in the seminar we did just now, we did not deal with things that were actively sinful, right? We excluded them from our discussion. Yes? Everybody remember the beginning? We excluded those. We said, we're looking at how to find everything spiritually enlivening in our lives, but not like murder. We're not going to talk about murder this afternoon. But we are going to look at things now, this afternoon that you know are, are actively detrimental to our spiritual life, according to the Shastra and to the Acharyas, and how to be a freedom. And I think the whole schedule for the weekend for the planning on doing Krishna is up on the wall. So I'm sorry I don't have time for any more questions. Um, thank you very much. And bless me that I have enough time to go back and put periods into my who presses table clip on, you know.